yeah, this room is pretty cool, but it's kind of terrible for the lighting because our faces might be a little dark. So I'll, I adjust the, uh, the exposure. I don't know if you're into photography at all or not even a little. Okay. I, just, I know some people are like really like they want the no, super canon like 10, no, like, 10 foot long none of, none of that stuff matters to me man like okay. as long as as long as we're talking about stuff that's important for your thing genuinely eh. does not matter how I look on camera uh, I mean I, I want people to focus more on the content rather than or I guess Camera is part of the content, but I uh, want them I, to focus more towards on like what the stuff that we are discussing rather than how we look. Yeah. Well, yeah. I still don't know if um people are watching the videos because I I only people don't have uh what I have like a, a hacked ROM for Android, mm -hmm. so I I can run like videos on YouTube in the background. So like I just play music on YouTube. Yeah. I don't know if uh you have an iPhone or Android. Droid. Yeah, so do you have like a, do you have to um, keep the video open or can you play it in the background? Like audio? I gotta leave it open. But for most of the time, I mean, I, I have my music downloaded anyway. I'm, yeah. I'm, if you get to know me, I'm more of an old fashioned person. I like oh, to no. have my, uh, I still buy CDs and I, yeah. I still like burn my CDs to my computers and then oh, I transfer it to my iPod. Yeah, like uh, I, I still think that is the best quality you can get over digital. And yeah. also, I'm a big believer of having a physical um, asset rather yeah. than the digital assets. Because right. I can't yeah. sell you my music, right? But if I have a CD of an album that you really like, I can physically sell you that. So, I mean, most of the time, I just like start. And then uh, depending on like where the good, when, when it gets good, I'll just cut it. So I usually, because... Um, I just did it with Dr. Pardew, and then her, his uh, his wife came in and saying that she had COVID, <laughs> so so I had to cut it, and uh, and it, it was fine. But um, no, no, I, I don't I don't have COVID. I don't think I have COVID. again. <laughs> I mean, if if I, I did, I would I would still be sick if I'm correct. No, you should be fine. But um, I mean, yeah. you sound like you don't have any like I don't know stomach. Yeah, exactly. Or like throat yeah, issues. Yeah, exactly. Like. I mean, that was my big concern first. Like, I thought I, I had COVID no, on funny. that day, but then I, I was like, it, it's right. feeling fine. But I think after a couple of hours, I'm starting to get a little bit better. So I was like, I don't think that's COVID. What, um, what did you eat the night before? Uh, dude, it was just a bunch of frozen stuff. So what, I, from I, like a microwave, like yeah, dinner or something? Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, so I'm going to assume it's that. Uh, I mean, I would be paranoid after like it, it was. It was a day before my test submission, so yes, definitely something that's I shouldn't eat. On well, what is your test submission? Uh, so it was on a, it was on this class called machine learning theory. So I, I had to, yeah. you know, I had to like. Basically, I did something that I'm not proud of. I waited until the last second to submit that. So I'm, you know, it's it's uh, it whatever. Uh, <laughs> Because the day before I was working on the research, and the day before I was uh, working on the other class, so it's it's kind of got hectic, and yeah, so it's yeah. I mean, we're at the point of the semester where all the yeah, professors exactly. are like everything cramming like everything, everything before Thanksgiving. Points. My my friends and I we were just talking about that. He's doing his PhD in per, uh, Purdue University, and uh, he was like, you you know, I got to the and he's more into the social science, so he's not he's not into like. He's not doing things that uh, that's more of a study base. It's more like reading base. So he's like, 
I just got all of my professors dumping like thousands of papers that I got to read. And I'm like, oh, dude, I'm with you on that. I got projects, exams. And on top of that, uh, you know, the research project with Dr. Chen. So it's, it's. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny how professors are, they're so smart and they have their field of study. Like they're the leaders in the field and then they have like no time management at all. That's, that's the, I mean, see, that's. I'm coming to realization that it's a trend. So uh, yeah. before working with Dr. Chen, I worked with, uh, like for a year, I worked with the other faculty called Dr. Obakri. Mm-hmm. Before, uh, and, and him and I, we had the same conversation. We, you know, I, was, I was telling him like how uh, Dr. Chen's having really tough time managing his schedule. And he's like, yeah, no, I had, the, my, I had my advisor do the same. I'm gonna do my best to not make that happen as well. Because I, I, I realize that it's it's important for me to give my students time. So I'm like, okay, you know what? Working with him, it would be a little bit different. But guess what? It, it, same thing happened, right? Like, I mean... It, Funny it, how that works. It's... it's the, the sad part is is that I'm, I'm seeing the same thing. As I, after I graduate, if I get into uh, academia world, I'm going to try my best to make sure that this does not happen with my students. But then I'm seeing what... Uh, as a professor is the things you have to do and coming to, you know, just, just right there. And then I'm kind of like flashing myself into future and putting myself in future. And I'm like, you know what? I see myself doing the same exact thing. It's just really tough to avoid. Yeah. It's like the beginning of every semester. You're like, I'm going to be on top of it. I'm going to get all my class scheduled. And it's, it starts off good. And then right in the middle where everything, like everybody, and it's it makes perfect sense. In the beginning of the semester, you're trying to get a hang of everything that's going on, yeah. right? And then right around in middle, as soon as you get comfortable, that's when you want to start. Go ahead and uh, doing the important things that matters, like mm. you know, test, exams, projects. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and everything will pile up. So yeah, normally I don't like ask for introductions because like I just put it in the description and then people could just figure it out. Okay. But um, so can you tell me a little bit about your research that you were uh, doing last week? So uh, the research that well I can let me I guess if if it, if that's okay with you let me start with the with the overall subject and then yeah, I'll ahead. focus more towards the specific things that I'm doing. So the research that I'm working on is um, after treatment systems for the diesel engines. So the biggest thing is is that uh, even though the industry is trying to push towards electric, there's one industry that will it will take some good amount of time before it becomes electric, and that's the uh, the freight system. You know the 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 eighteen wheelers that we have on the roads, because the battery is just not there yet. We're we're not to the point where we can have batteries for long range, and obviously the range anxiety that everybody's talking about is kind of a big deal so uh epas are the you know the environmental protection agency they're trying to push uh these diesel engines to have lower and lower emissions every day so uh there's this after treatment system called uh selective catalytic reduction system for Mm -hmm. the diesel engines scr yeah so uh what we're trying to do is we're trying to reduce uh more and more emissions on those now the the challenge that uh, our project sponsor Cummins that we're working with uh, the challenge that they're introducing us is that 
they want to find out how old is this system. So once mm. it's been implemented, it's running, uh, the trucks are going on highways, they're going in cities, and then uh, depending on the situation, it deteriorates the entire system. So what they're trying to do is find out how, uh, how, how much of a wear tear, if you will. So we have two models. We have a brand new model, and then we have a end-of-the-use-life model that they call it end-of-the-use-life. So we're trying to find out uh, the difference between one and the other. So how can we tell that um, this particular SCR system that's embedded in this truck is brand new versus it's been aged, it's no longer working in the condition that we designed it for? Mm. So uh, they want to not only find um, the difference between aged and new, they also want to find... they also want to do this on board while the truck is driving. Really? So yeah. not just test beds, but not just also the test, c- yeah. consumers that are... Yeah. Okay. So they, wanted, they want the onboard computers to calculate all these things. And that makes it far much more challenging than it is already. So we have uh, data that's from the test cells. So, you know, they took the system out, they put it in test beds, uh, run some operation on some... Uh, federally approved test <laughs> procedures, if you will, and uh, they gave us the data. And we're we're trying to um, f- at least we're collaborating with the Purdue University as well in Indiana in this. So there's two approaches uh, and well two sides, and both of us are having two separate approaches. So we have the Purdue team; they're focusing more on. Uh, mathematical model or at least trying to calibrate uh, a model that's a dummy model that's very low leveled and they're trying to model the entire thing so to go one step back because I know it's going to get a lot of complicated because there's a lot of technical terms that's about to come (laughs) in it's not just the selective catalytic reduction system it's a SCR plus a AMOX system can you go into what What AMOX is sure so AMOX is kind of like your SCR with the exception that now uh, sometimes every now and then you have ammonia leakage coming out of SCR because in order for the SCR to work, you have to inject ammonia. So the ammonia and NOX can collaborate with each other and you get nitrogen plus water. Uh, AMOX does uh, quite the opposite thing. So what it does is that it takes the ammonia that's been slipped out of um, SCR and it converts it into NOx, which can be used uh, back to the SCR to reduce it down. Oh, I see. So, so it's, it's, it's a self-contained system. It's, it's, yeah, so they try to make it self-contained as much as possible. And mm-hmm. uh, issue with that is, is that now you have a two system right so like i mean you have this if i if i will this entire brick is so-called scr but then right like about three quarters of the way you have this much of a part that's uh that's amox Uh, so the challenge becomes is that how can you model this without having a correct scr model in the first place right so the mathematical uh, modeling part becomes quite challenging so what purdue is doing is that they're simplifying it down as much as possible to the point where they can model the entire system. And as long as the data is calibrated well enough, they're trusting the model well. 
And the second approach Purdue is doing is uh, data-driven machine learning approaches. Uh, on Tennessee Tech side, I'm working on mathematical model approach, just like the Purdue team, with the except exception that we don't care about the AMOCs. We only want to focus on the SCR part. Mm, okay. So uh, that becomes quite challenging on my side because I want to make sure that whatever mathematical model I come up with has to be darn good accurate, right? Because uh, you're, you're talking about uh, working in a blind side. So that's my part of the challenge. And, this, and the second approach is what Zafay is working on uh, is, is the data-driven approach. He's also working with machine learning to find some uh, behaviors that can be characterized, that can tell us the age of this system. Um, and then on top of all of that, I also realized that Dr. Chen has also introduced a frequency domain approach as well, which I thought was really interesting because of my previous research with Dr. Lubakri. So we're also trying to find uh, characteristics that can distinguish the behavior between age model and the new model using the frequency domain analysis. So that's, that's what I was working on last week, was to see if I can find any characteristics in the frequency domain. So yeah. That's it's, a, that was pretty in-depth. In, uh, yeah, it had to, because it's, it's a lot of times uh, what happens is that if I don't go in-depth, everybody's going to be like, what is SCR? And then I'm yeah. like, okay, well, I have to kind of explain what SCR is. And then they were like, wait, but could you not just do this, this, and this? And they're like, no, I can't because it's not just SCR, it's SCR plus AMOX. So it makes it a little bit different. And then they're like, what is AMOX? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yeah. you know what? From now on, I'm just going to go do the whole thing. whole thing from way back and see if I can explain in detail as no, much as I get possible. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we assume that we, we know now what SCR is, can you explain why a a diesel engine needs an SCR compared to a conventional gasoline engine? Sure. Uh, so the biggest, uh, the biggest reason is being is the way it's been combusted. So your uh, standard gasoline engine is a spark ignition. So, uh, and your, your traditional diesel engine is a compressed ignition. And because of the compression that's been happening inside, you have air to fuel ratio, the biggest reason that I tell people is to think about it in terms of a very common science. What is air mostly made out of? And the answer is, of course, 70% or even higher is nitrogen. And then you have other parts that's oxygen, and then you have a less than 1% of other uh, particles that's inside of the air. So if you kind of think about it, if you're igniting, uh, if you're putting air inside of a combustion chamber, and if you're going to combine it with O2, which is what you need in order to have combustion, you're going to have a lot of NOx emission coming out of it, mm. right? Um, the three-way catalyst in your uh, spark ignition or your gasoline engine sort of takes care of all of those emissions. But because of the fact that you have such, when you have such a high compression ratio inside of a diesel engine, which you can do that, because now you have a compression ignition uh, engine, mm -hmm. you can put a lot of air inside of a, in, you know, inside of the combustion chamber, which will allow you to have greater efficiency. You can have at this, you know, you're increasing the 
amount of nitrogen so you can have more NOx emission. Mm. And that's why we need SCR because you have something before the SCR that can take care of these emissions, but they're just not enough. So we need to add more. And of course, because EPA says so, right? I mean, <laughs> EPA yeah, is asking us to reduce these emissions. So we need to come up with something. Yeah. If EPA never asked, we don't need it technically per se. Yeah, but we much. would also have a lot of NOx emissions out in, in the world. So, Yeah, there's a lot of benefits of diesel. It has much higher efficiency than Definitely, yes. a uh, yeah. SI engine. But yeah. the downside is you know, that you the, have the more emission, yes. So, uh, I mean, similarly, I mean, my uh, we tried doing the same approach in spark ignition world as well, which was my uh, master's research it was all about. So we have we have engines that can stand up to diesel in terms of spark ignition. But yeah. right now we're moving in electric world and, you know, people just they're just like, OK, well, if we're going to do if we're going to transition to electric world, then we don't really care about what spark ignitions can do in this sense yeah well doesn't um the last hundred years the amount of emissions that si and ci have been drastically reduced it ever has. Since 70, uh, isn't it over 99 percent yeah emissions? i mean so if you think about it like as i said so ser system itself can take out these knocks and reduce it into nothing but nitrogen and water that's mm, practically inert yeah that's 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 nothing right like i mean that's that's that is what's already in the atmosphere yeah so we're not i mean you, you heard some like if you drive your car through a, a smoggy city that the exhaust will be cleaner than the exact, intake exactly air. yeah exactly so for most of the time i mean and if you take a look at the data that that um some of these engine people you know co engine companies like cummins that they're providing us with i you're dealing with you know like a less than a particle per million emission out so it's 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 pretty good in that sense like i mean you have maybe a couple of particles a million depending on the driving condition but that's expected i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna put if you're gonna run engine at the higher load you expect engine to produce more emission and that's okay and your system can only do so much but you're not expected to run at the higher load every single time mm -hmm. right so at certain point in time yes you are it's one of those things as like it's a momentary thing where you're you're producing higher emission but it's just for that particular moment mm -hmm. and if you take that as a consideration then as even as an average you're not outputting that much of emission yeah it's a pretty much an outlier yeah. it's that specific situation yeah. where you need the torque for an on ramp or something yeah exactly so what what do you think the end game is for say the EPA to ask you guys to do something like this what's um I don't too much know uh, about what, what, you summarize? What, what, what I think in my personal opinion, I think uh, EPA just wants to have these diesel engines to perform as good as electric vehicles, which is to have zero emissions, uh, which is good. Like, I mean, they're pushing and that the, the push is. If you kind of think about it, that push is what kind of we do need in order to make some advances in the research field, which is good. Definitely, but it's bad for the companies, of course, because oh, now yeah. they gotta invest, and they have to make these things happen if they want their product to keep running in the market. Yeah. So, um, from business point of view, it's bad. From research point of view, I think it's really good that they're trying to push us. 
So, yeah, that's what I think. From a research theoretical point of view, is it even possible to have zero emissions from a diesel engine? Uh, sort of. I mean, you can't really encounter for every single scenario, right? Like, I mean, as I mentioned, so there are some times and place where you will have higher torque required, so you will have a higher flow rate going inside of your engine, and that can result into some sort of a slip. And... Uh, no matter how much you try, the slip is something that you just cannot content, you know, contain in, in a small little place. So there is, there is always a chance. There is always a chance that you will have some slip every now and then where you will be, um, well, you will be releasing some emissions out in the world. Yeah. And at the same time, these systems are chemical-based. So um, there's a lot of chemical reactions going on in these after-treatment systems. So um, there are a lot of dependent variables on there. So, for example, flow rate is one of them. Temperature is a second one. Um, and because if, if it's running in low-efficiency region, like low temperatures, then you will not have those chemical reactions uh, occurring at the higher efficiencies. Mm -hmm. And that can result into having emissions out. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many variables out there for you to contain. So there is no yeah. way you can say that. Yeah, you there's, can there's always that one case that you'll never think of. Exactly. And, and, and it, it just sneaks bit. up on you every now and then. Yeah. And you try your best, but like you can only do so much. Like even with the with the controllers that we have in built it inside of these things, uh, they can adjust it in real time, but they can only do so much, you know, so. Yeah. So do you think, uh, how, how much longer will diesels be around if EVs can catch up uh, based on range? Talking with Dr. Chan and all the others uh, going into the expos and conferences, it seems like that it will be about 50, 60 years until diesels, uh, or at least we can catch up to having uh, technology that can contain EVs at, at like higher uh, road mileages to have the batteries, you know, perform in such such high range area, as at least it seems like it. Are we assuming that lithium ions the give me the technology, or can we uh, start no, thinking uh, about so so solid state batteries? Yeah, so that's that's a really good point. It seems like that uh, the last time when we were at at uh, this Tennessee Expo uh, in Nashville, Nissan really introduced a, introduced a new technology. Uh, they're they're introducing the solid solid state batteries, which can have a uh, good performance, or like at least they're claiming that it can perform at higher mileage. So you can have a long drive time than the charging, and and the charging time is also shorted out. So it seems like that the solid state batteries are the next gen in in this particular case okay uh, yeah i thought that uh, toyota was the only one that had that technology right now but well nissan presented it so i don't know if toyota has in already okay. implemented or not i don't really know that much ev is not my world i mean for that you have to talk to zefe or even max brandon or anybody yeah. in dr chen's team uh, my my world is more towards conventionals and uh now more towards diesel after treatments so yeah. working with dr chen my my entire focus when when we first met i told him that i want to be more involved in uh 
mathematical world rather than really? technical world. Because I, I like I like uh, my personal my personal favorite subject is differential equations. Oh I wow! Love, I love playing with those things. They are my favorite go-to. Like whenever I'm bored, I like to find, or at least I like to mathematically model behavior of things that I never thought that that would be possible to do. So. Uh, knowing that he knew that I, i'm not interested in technical stuff so he he got me involved into modeling uh and controls basically rather than focusing on specific type of thing oh that's i, I always say that engineers are all the same but I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm the exception case yeah, I, I still get nightmares from differential equations on that <laughs> when she, she just kept on going on the board and the, the equation just kept on going and then she had to go all the way to the back to the, yes, the to far left to finish the, uh, well, the other one, side yeah. some uh, I forgot Taylor series or whatever yes but, yeah. um, I mean I love uh, see that to me to me that's critical thinking like mm -hmm. approaching or using Taylor series even um, when you can't solve the differential equation analytically you're mm -hmm. like okay well should i just give up or should i keep going and the answer is is that maybe you can discretize it and solve it in in uh, other times in space and then taylor series comes in very handy you're like i never ever would have had thought of you know simplifying it down to this particular way and uh as a controls engineer i mean i kind of have to i'm kind of forced to love math in its own way because mm the very first step for a controls engineer is to have the mathematical model. Otherwise, we're useless. There's no other approach you can do unless it's about coding. Then, Even then, you have to justify your code yeah. with you know, controls. So you go back to, again, step one, which is to find the mathematical model. Yeah, so you're talking about the... Uh, computational model, which you, you just uh, mentioned, versus the analytical, which is more math uh, proof based. Yeah. And and then that's compared to a more theoretical, hands on. Well, uh, hands on testing and all that stuff. Uh, in my opinion, the theoretical world is far much more advanced than the testing world, because if you in, if you take any any control theory classes, they're gonna say things like. Oh, these stability uh, analysis were done hundreds or fifty years ago or hundreds of years ago. Without a computer. Uh, then and but but we just don't have enough computing power, mm -hmm. nor we have enough technology to do these things or test it out. Yeah. Like the biggest one of the one of the things that still gets me is and if you ever get chance to take control theory classes, it's called Leibniz stability, and that is invented decades ago. And yet it is one of the only approaches that you can say that can guarantee stability. If you can, if you can say that your, your controller is stable and lie up now, you can claim it that it's, it's, it's stable throughout. Like, you know, you can, you can solidly say that I have a proof that my controller is stable. If you can just say that it's lie up now stable. So that's more reliable than a com computational model? Well, I mean, you can't do computational model until you... Okay, yeah. prove it that the controller works right you can give it a shot right like <laughs> you can just blindly write a code but if you if you're if you cannot prove it in first place that this controller works what what's the worst can happen your 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 code can go into infinite loop and mm -hmm. and or potentially harm something if you're working with something at a bigger scale right like so you can't uh 
you can't really step into creating writing codes and things like that until you know for the fact that your controller is going to work theoretically. Okay. Yeah. So. That's, um, I don't know, I still don't know, I still need to do a little more reading on stuff like that because from a mo from what I understand, you, you would have to start with a more mathematical model yeah. before you even touch either an experiment or mm -hmm. a Yeah, so uh, to give you an example, I believe in my very first semester as a grad student, uh, I had a friend of mine in undergrad um, who was very interested in robotics. Mm -hmm. And we took mechatronics class together with Dr. Canfield. Uh, he told me from the very first day, hey, you're a grad student, right? I'm like, yeah, so, so your projects are going to be a little bit higher. It was a hybrid class, you know, grad slash undergrads can take it. So uh, he told me, he's like, so your projects are going to be a little bit high level, right? And I'm like, yeah. So he's like, I'm working with you and I want us to do a robot arm control. And I said, okay, that sounds very interesting. So before we can even, uh, and the end product is that we built the robot arm, we 3D printed it, and not only that, we implemented our controller from uh, our Vinos that we were working on, and we managed to successfully perform the task that we were trying to do. But before we can even do that, I told him, look, we're going to have to sit down and there's a lot of theories involved. First of all, inverse kinematics, forward kinematics, all those things, we got to mm. solve these things before we can even begin to start 3D printing this part. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm all okay with that as long as you teach me along the way. And I said, okay, that's fine with me. So we spent about three quarters of the semester just behind the theory. And the last quarter of the semester, we rushed and we built mm -hmm. the 3D model of our robot because he, he was so dedicated towards making this thing happen. I was very impressed the fact that he made it, you know, he made that model. Like I, I was, I was expecting there were there would be a lot of errors, but I guess he was really good with three D printing. So he made those parts. Uh, oh, wow. We put the steppers inside, and next thing we know, our robot arm is moving just the way we wanted it. So we made it fully autonomized, and the only input you need is your fingerprint, and it will just perform the task that you want it to do. As long as you input your fingerprint and fingerprint's valid. Uh, we didn't get to the validation parts of the fingerprint, but we, we, as long as there is a fingerprint, the robot arm will start, it will perform its task, and it will go back to his rest once it's done. What was the uh, task? So uh, for the sake of simplicity, we were uh, saying that, hey, there are, there are a couple of colors, uh, stickers on there. Your job is to just go over there. But uh, we were thinking more, like practically, we were thinking there will be some objects that robot arm will pick up put it away, and then go for the next one. So like a sorting robot, basically. In, in a way. So it had a priority priorities on the colors. We I believe it was a red first and blue, or blue first and then red, so on and so forth. And mm -hmm. we had a camera on top that will scan where all the things are. And, it will, and based on the locations of the camera, it will automatically solve the inverse kinematics of the robot arm. So you will know the XYZ position and you will know exactly how much to rotate that motor mm. based on where you are. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was a little uh, skeptical at first that we would not be able to solve the inverse <laughs> kinematics. But no, I mean, as I said, my uh, the partner that I was working with, he was so dedicated. He's like, no, 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 no we cannot give up. <laughs> We're going to work on this and we'll figure it out. 
and we did at the end so i, I was kind of happy about that so i was like you know what that just proves the fact that i want to work more in theoretical world because i cannot move to practical until i solve the theory so just mm. confirms it that hey i mean as cool as hands on stuff looks you got to you got you know you got to first of all you got to pull your hair you got to <laughs> bang your head on the wall got to do all those things first before you can enjoy the sweet stuff uh that's that's funny you're like the exact opposite of brandon when we <laughs> talked to him he's like mr baha gets down in the the wrench and gets all greasy when trying to yes but i mean if you think about it before uh or at least if you if you think about it like that baha has been intensity tech for so long If you go back to the very first year, what do you think they did at that time? No, do you think they didn't get much very exactly. much done on uh in yes, real life? Yeah, uh, do you think paper? do you think the transition at the very first year was as smooth as what it is right now? No. Absolutely not, right? Yeah. It's because all the the groundwork that the first the, people the, Yeah, the first generation's already been worked up, so the improvements that you're doing are even though even though they're big, but they're minuscule in terms of what you already had done before you're not starting from scratch anymore mm-hmm. you're just making improvements to the things that you already have and that that helps a lot like you're making improvements at very uh in a very linear and or and or exponential way i mean you're making really good progress depending on how big of an improvement it is right yeah so i mean i remember working with uh Tennessee Tech Motorsport last year the uh, formula team yeah in the formula team and uh they never had drive by wire so as soon as they had me and they know that I worked in engine controls they told me they were like we want to implement drive by wire this year or mm. at least they want to have the gas pedal work drive by wire and i told them i'm like it's totally doable just give me the current specs and we can make some modifications to it uh and that helped so i was like at least we don't have to start from scratch anymore we just have this thing so they managed to at least get the gas pedal done drive by wire which they were talking about it over 5 6 years ago but they never got to and the roadblock was the controls yeah well not not just the controls per se but they they didn't had the right ecu they didn't had mm-hmm. uh you know a lot or they did not even know how to use the ecu they were just using the preloaded uh softwares mm. that they were already there and they were trying to make changes to it instead of understanding it so i told them i'm like look we have to sit down and we have to <laughs> understand what's going on and it's like but that's boring part of it. yeah yeah that's the boring the part, part that you don't want to do that's going to make the most improvement and you never uh it's yeah, the most boring you can't you can't like i mean it's it's the same it's a similar thing when i was taing for uh dmc class um for the lab at least i tell students i'm like look you cannot just blindly start writing your code if you don't even know what the command does in the first place like you how can you expect to use the plot command if you don't even know what plot command does so uh it's very important to know the fundamentals or at least know what you're doing before you can begin to do that and i i get the same the thing is is that i was in i was undergrad as well i was in their place as well and i did the same thing i'm not i'm not ashamed to admitting that like you know i'm i'm not perfect when i started coding things at first i was just randomly coding things never knew what what, what it was until i 
until one time I remember this, Dr. Chad and I, we were sitting down and talking about uh, our research progress and he got really mad that I was just <laughs> blindly using all these things. And he's like, Sachin, how can you expect me to help you out if you don't even know what you're doing? And I'm like, that <laughs> makes perfect sense. It's like, that makes perfect sense. You know what, from now on, I'll make sure that I understand everything before I, uh, I, I claim anything that I, this is not working. Well, you get pretty far with just figuring things out as you go. I mean, th I feel like that's, I, I'm, I relate more to intuitive, figure out, try to see what the mistake is in, instead of, you know, you know, like when you get like an Ikea thing, you, you, yeah. read, you, you, I mean, read you, instructions you don't, you and don't I, learn and you learn, you don't learn until you make mistakes, but once yeah. you make a mistake, you learn exponentially, you know yeah. that you will never make that mistake ever again. Pretty much. Yeah. And that's, that's good. But at the same time, uh, I, I guess we're missing out. The lesson is that in order for you to learn properly, try not to make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. But the biggest lesson is, is that try not to, right? So how can you not make mistakes? Well, just be a little bit more prepared. You're never going to be 100% prepared, obviously, right? Even today, as of today, I go out there, I ask Dr. Chen for help. And he's always like, have you tried looking at this way? And I'm like, no. He's like, well, see, you should have had. So I'm like, okay, so... Even myself, even though I have gone this far, I still make a lot of mistakes that I never thought that, hey, if I just had done that, that was a simple fix. You know, it's like, it seems like that was a very simple fix. And I just bothered a really busy man for nothing. <laughs> right? Uh, so, man, uh, we can get into that. But uh, what do you think? You, how did you get that kind of mindset? Was there a certain time that you, you learned that? Was it Dr. Chen? <laughs> Well, uh, yes, uh, a huge contribution does go to Dr. Chen, yes. But at the same time, uh, the second uh, huge contribution goes towards me being a TA. Mm -hmm. It helped out a lot. Like, being on the other side. The other side, yeah. Being on the other side, I like, it, I mean, there were some times where I'm like, did I make mistakes like this when I was undergrad? Because if I did, somebody needs to tell me that, hey, quit right now. You're not worth it. You know, you're, you're never oh, going to be a good engineer. I mean, oh, I had those bad thoughts in my head and like just want to yeah. stand up to the uh you know to the student and be like nope just quit quit right now while you're ahead and i know that sounds horrible but it felt like that for the time being and then i started to like analyze it i was like why are are they making mistakes like this and then i'm like okay you know what i think the answer is is that first of all they're overwhelmed by everything that's been happening around them like i mean the fact that they have to do all these things in short amount of time mm. while they're taking other classes. It's pretty overwhelming for a student. And second, it's just like, they're just not prepared. Like even though, mm. again, as an undergrad, I made the same mistake. I never read the pre-lab things <laughs> right before I was supposed to go for the lab. So I, I'm not mad. But that you just show not, up and just Yeah, you just show up and out. just expect to work. So I'm not mad at the students when they do things like that. But I get it. Like, you know, I understand now from the other side of the point of view why it was so important for you to read all those things. Even though at the time being it looked like that it did not help, it does help a little. Not a lot, but at least a little. So, yeah, I mean, two huge contributions. One, Dr. Chen, he's just like, got to do this, got to do this. You got to think like that before you do anything. I don't want you to rush things. I want you to give me quality uh, results. I don't want 
rushed results. He's that's his exact phrase. I don't like rush results okay. because then you're you're not doing quality research. And the second being is that uh, with as being a TA, it kind of opened up my eyes. Like the things that I I, I did, it it kind of gave me a flashbacks as well. So it's like I remember me doing this. That was stupid. Don't do that again. So yeah. I'm, I'm training myself to like think, you know, like just relax, take a step back. It's okay to be overwhelmed, but just take a step back and just see what you already know, sort it out, you know, do your organization charts or whatever have you, and then tackle it. So it made me very patient. That's all I'll say. It has made me very patient. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I had one of those moments last week where we were doing a calibration for basically a, a circuit, and I thought everything was right, and then it said that there was an error. So I, I called the professor, and all I had to do was one wire and the another to just flip them, and then yeah. it was fine. And I, I looked at it, and I was like, this is exact. I, I don't know if I'm colorblind, or it was, it was just... One yeah, you just thing. just one one small thing. That's all it takes, right? Yeah, and so you just like, have to double check before you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bother someone else. I mean, no, I you, mean, you have that the perspective now. But no, I mean, I I never got bothered. Like, I just want to say that uh, I never got bothered whenever uh, some of the students that I was TAing for they asked me questions. I in fact welcomed it. What I uh, what I didn't like was the be you know the anxiety that they have to approach to the TA. And they think that the TA is going to be uh, in a negative response. That's that's what I was against, because again, as as an undergrad, I was in their shoes. I'm like, I don't want to bother them. But as it turns out, if you just uh, okay. ask for the help, then you will know the right answer right away. And then what I didn't like the most was that I tell these specific students that hey, you should ask me questions because it seems like you're struggling. They never ask, but when they turn in their work, I'm like, this is so poor quality. It's like, uh, only if you ask, right? It's like, I want my students to succeed, but I can't do that if if the communication is poor between us two, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Sometimes it's easier just to BS the work than, and then deal with the grade than, you know, having mustering the chops to go talk to the TA. Who and I mean... That's something I want to say that's very wrong. I mean, you know, you can't you can't really yeah. uh, enforce that kind of behavior because then that just shows that at workplace, when you're working in team, if you're not going to communicate with your team uh, yeah. members, I mean, how do you expect to have a um, significant progress? I mean, it's, it, it only drags yeah. them down, like, right? Like, I mean, until you have the team meeting, you realize <laughs> you made so many mistakes. And those mistakes could have been easily avoided if the communication was done on time. Yeah. I forgot who said it, but the most brilliant engineer and they're locked in their basement typing away, that'll be completely overshadowed by someone that is able to communicate their yeah, ideas. And absolutely. They'll, they'll, they'll die with them in, in that basement. Absolutely. If you can't explain uh, yourself properly, mm -hmm. then you can never... Uh, you can never be able to achieve the things that you want to do. Like you have to be, especially when you're working in team. Yeah. If your goals are to do these, these, and these things, then you have to state those goals as clear as possible and make sure that everybody understands it in the team. Otherwise, one will think that I was supposed to do this. In reality, it was something completely different. Yeah. 
that is, I think that's one thing that engineers really um, struggle with is they have we're pretty good with our visualization in our head I mean, and getting everything uh yeah you know. like i mean i tell i tell all the students i'm like look don't ever for even for a microsecond think that you're not good enough for things like this i mean you're smart you made it this far yeah right like i mean you you made it this far there's no way you're not smart enough to be an engineer you just have to think outside of the box that's it like our minds are set uh and I know I'm, I'm going philosophical here, so I guess... No, I, I like going that way. Uh, so our minds are set to do certain things in certain ways, right? Like, I mean, in in schools, when, when you expect somebody, like when you ask somebody, hey, or at least you, when you tell someone that, hey, you're going to college, their mindset is that I'm just going to go to class, I'm going to take notes, I'm going to study, I'm going to take exam, I'm going to pass, I'm going to get my degree and get out of here. Well, there is more to it than that. Like, I mean, what does it mean? The things that you're learning, what does it mean? That's that's what we're lacking in when it comes to like certain students. They just come in here for the purpose of, you know, getting achieving something. You're achieving. Yes, you're smart. You're going to get your degree. No problem there. But can you apply what you learn? If I ask you, like, how can you use a thermodynamic cycle? I mean, and if you're just going to get yourself stuck, then what's the point of learning all that math and learning all those theories behind why the efficiency of a thermodynamic cycle is so bad? Like, I mean, why does all the cycles of the thermodynamics system are so bad? If you can't even answer that, then what's the point? Mm. What's the point of your you spending four years uh, this much of a money? What's the point of all that? Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's more of a fault of the way the tests are, or the way that students are evaluated on their performance. Yeah, and, right. and I mean, that's more towards education system. And my uh, one of my best friend and I, I mean, he's, as I said, he's in social science. He's working in education, uh, agriculture education extensions, and he's getting his PhD on all of that. So him and I, we always have conversations about how messed up the test system is and <laughs> how we evalu- how we evaluate is completely wrong and all that stuff and we would have hours and hours of philosophical conversations about it and it, the there's just no right answer at this point like there's there's no perfect way to evaluate somebody no. i mean the tests are important don't get me wrong in order for you to know how to get the right answer is correct uh I just wish that during the lecture time, student will think more outside of the box rather than thinking about how can I, you know, just pass this class with an A. Yeah. I mean, that's what students are incentivized to focus their energy with is yeah. I mean, you could learn the material. You could understand each of the inner, you know, intrinsic background, all the theory, or yeah. you could learn the, the right numbers to put in the right equations to get yeah, the exactly. right answer. Yeah. And uh, I remember uh, taking my DMC class, uh, and the thing was was that uh, as soon as the class from the beginning of the semester, the professor said that this is going to be a math-based class. And I'm like, okay. Who was the professor? Uh, Dr. Sinha, who uh, is not here anymore, but um, he told us that this is going to be a math-based class. And I was mentally well prepared to just be that guy, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, you know what? So that means I'm just going to focus on the equations and all that stuff. The very next day, or I guess the very next lecture, he starts doing a review of uh, differential equations. And I'm like, so this is not a new math. 
in this case, I'm just reviewing something that I already have done. And I asked him, like, is the entire class is going to be differential equation based? And he's like, yeah. And so I'm like, well, I already know how to do differential equations. So why am I stressing out so much? And mm -hmm. then I started thinking about like, okay, so what exactly are you doing? So when, when they moved on from uh, differential equation to dynamic modeling, I'm like, oh my God, I'd never thought that I can take a behavior of a mechanical system, describe it using a dynamic model, like just a differential equation. And that's when I realized, I'm like, dude, this is awesome. Like, you know, <laughs> like this is not something that you should, you know, just study just to sake of it. You should actually learn about these things. This is really cool. Can and you then, uh, give an example of a mechanical system that you can model with a differential equation? Oh, dude, yeah. Uh, pendulums. Just right on top of the bed, the pendulum. I mean, it's a grab. Uh, you got MX double dot plus KX is equal to zero. Or if you want to add damping into it, sure. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to have to start adding all these uh, pictures of what you're talking about. But yeah. I mean, that that is... Differential equations, all that math is just toolboxes for an engineer to yeah. explain the world. And right? th that's 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 the thing is that like uh, that's that's exactly my point is that like I mean if you're if you're gonna be here as an undergrad trying to get your degree, um, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna understand that you're supposed to use these tools for your own benefit, then you're really missing out. That's all I will say. I mean you'll you'll be an engineer. But if you want to be a great engineer, you've got to learn how to use these tools in your own benefit. Yeah. What do you think? Um, is that your goal, to be a great engineer? Well, my goal is to just see if I can contribute something in, in this world. So as, as an undergrad, I thought that this was fun, but I'm mm -hmm. not done learning. That was my attitude. Mm -hmm. So uh, I decided to be a grad student. Uh, and then once I learned that, okay, as a grad student, you're actually, you know, you're, you're significantly contributing a lot into the field. Uh, I realized I'm like, okay, well, after I get my PhD, this is exactly what I want to do. Like just keep doing research, publish it, work on the theories, work on practical stuff and all that stuff and see where I can go from here. So is academia what your goal is? I would like to, but at the same time, I don't mind working in, um, it's, a, it's a similar, I want to say that no matter what happens, whether if I go in academia or if I go in industry, the, the process is still going to be the same. Like even with a PhD, I can be an R&D, do the research and all that stuff, w still publish. It's not like that I can't publish if, even if I'm, uh, even if I'm working in an industry, they have, they have places where you can you can do research collaborate oh, yeah. with uh universities as well as long as it's done in the right manner right like i mean gotta companies gotta protect their assets and all that stuff yeah. universities gotta do their stuff so it's just a little bit of a setback with industry that's it with universities it's more a little bit more of a freedom so you are really? more well when it comes to publications and stuff oh, like okay that. yeah Okay. Yeah, I, I was more thinking of uh, academia being a little more fun from the funding point of view. Like industry has a little more freedom in terms of. Well, yeah. I mean, you you as long as you can explain to the industry that you need money for these things, uh, they will be more than happy to give it to you. Of course, assuming they have it. Uh, with academia, it's more like, well, you got to apply for the grants and see if you can get it. But you you can still. It's not like that. Um, you can still do the research. It's not mm -hmm. like you're 
stuck. It's just that if your research requires you to have certain equipment, which you can't get now because you don't have funding for it, well, that's when you're you're stuck. Yeah, yeah. It's always funny how people end up in their PhD, whether they were never planning on doing it, and then they 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 do pretty well and then graduate, and then you you wanted to do it from the get go. Yeah. Well, I mean, see. Uh, to, to for an, for an example where where the funding is kind of important yeah. so my entire masters i never had a funding i never had a funded project wow. as in like it was it was it was never done through like a company or department or energy or anything like that all i needed was some data that we already had uh-huh. from oak ridge okay. and that's all it took i i was given two excel files and i created my entire master thesis from there so um, that's an example that you don't always need it. If you have an idea that you want to test it out, then, and as long as it's a theory-based, I mean, of course, my, my entire master's thesis, if I want to do it on practicality point of view, I'm going to need a hybrid vehicle with, yeah. with a really, you know, with a really high-efficient gasoline engine. So, um, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I never wanted my work to go in a practical world. That's something if I wanted it to do, then that would be my PhD work. Um, so I never had to apply for a grant. Uh, all, all it took was uh, the department funding me, uh, giving me opportunity to be a TA, and at the same time work on my master's. Nice. So you made, you did a lot with a little, yeah. Theft, which is, I mean, it's. I mean, it's hard yeah. To do, I mean, Dr. Chan and I. I mean, we were discussing about this project, and he was quite excited about it as well. For at that time, this was before he made a transition to electric vehicles. Um, and he was really excited about this uh, project because he thought that this is a really good idea, which it is. But uh, then industry decided to jump into electric vehicles, and now the electric vehicles are entire focus. Yep. So, you know, it happens. But it still is a really good idea, and it got accomplished. And if there are some companies trying to work on hybrids, I mean, this is a very next step that should be researched on in my opinion at least yeah um i actually <laughs> wasn't planning on talking about just pure research for that long but i appreciate it sure your uh, your insight because man i just got started with um helping you guys out with uh, dr chen's mm-hmm. team and you've been learning a lot but so much of just reading your papers it just goes over my head with all the uh all the math that you you need the foundation of like you talked about no, I mean, it's. don't get me wrong. Whenever I read uh, research papers, of course, I don't understand everything that's going on in there either. Um, all the differential equations that they have, like, for example, the the presentations that Faye had at the research expo, <laughs> none of that stuff made any sense to me either. So it was, it's, it's, it's completely fine for the time being. Um, of course, at first glance, nobody's going to understand it. You have to sit down and, you know, really digest that paper in order for you to fully understand it and if if, if it's required for you to do that in order to understand uh your own personal research then you have to sit down and digest that paper yeah it is it is what it is at that time yeah i I still remember when (laughs) he opened that slide it was just I don't know how many, like at least maybe 20 differential equations and i just just looked around the room and everyone was just like okay <laughs> like all the reaction it was so funny but it was he he always uh he he's on top of his game and i that was actually a pretty uh fun day because 
I wanted to get to this very earlier, but can you go through um, setting that up? And is yeah, uh, research expo. So we had this idea uh, as part of a president of Mexico. I decided that I wanted to focus more on uh, stu- you know grad students, specifically the new grad students, because they're the one who are extremely overwhelmed whenever they start their first semester, because you know here they are in a new world. I mean, it's not like undergrad where you have you know, here's a flowchart. You take these classes, as long as you pass, you're going to get a degree. Yeah, everyone's holding your hand. Yeah, it's not like that. I mean, you're on your own. You decide your own path. You decide your own uh, focus and all that stuff. And the first step as an undergrad, uh, I mean, as an undergrad going for, to grad is to find an advisor to, you know, feel that that person wants to work in. So that's where I wanted it to focus on with this research expo. That's something that they did last year, but it was more of like a fun activity to them rather than with any other intentions other than that. So I decided this time that, hey, we should focus on, you know, attracting the uh, the types of research that we're doing at Tennessee Tech, or at least in mechanical engineering department. So uh, I sent it out this email a while ago, like months ago to every advisor that I can think of and be like, hey, I really appreciate it if you have your students come in and talk about the research. Um, And everybody loved the idea, but somehow we just didn't get too many submissions. But we got just enough to do two days. So I was happy about that. So we we decided that, hey, on the first, first day, we will focus more on material science and other field. And then the Second day, we will focus more towards controls and vehicle engineering. And uh, that's exactly what ended up happening. Uh, so we had we had a pretty good day. Uh, we planned it out, and yeah, it was it was quite a success yeah. overall. I think it went pretty well. So the second day, it didn't go so uh, as according to plan. And also, about 10 minutes in, about every single ME professor came in, including the, the department head and Dr. Yeah. Chi, and it oh was ridiculous. When when, uh, when Zifei and Cody were, were next to present, they, he just had this look in his face like a scared <laughs> scared oh, animal. Yeah. Like, even even I was a little intimidated uh, I mean, for, for quite a reasons, but one of them being, yes, oh my God, Dr. Ch- uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Rao, Dr. Chewy, I mean, everybody was right there. You, when you have the entire department watching you yeah that's that's when things get little i was not that scared when i was presenting in atlanta as much as i was scared presenting in front of them uh so it's like wow you yeah. know you have you have a lot of people showing up and then after that i got a, i got pretty good positive feedback from all of them saying that it was a really good event so overall it felt good i was like okay yeah good. this this was worth it this was worth doing it and I told the entire Maxo team, I'm like, okay, as a president, I'm saying this right now. We're going to do this again next semester, too. Because we want want this uh, to happen again. And not only that, we want more people than what we already had this time. Are you thinking of another day to have the same format? Yes, something like that. So I will, uh, we're having a meeting this Friday with all the officers, and we're going to sit down and we're going to vote on, uh, we're going to vote on a couple of things. And one of them being is that when do we want to do this uh, again next semester? Yeah. Well, it, it could have went a lot worse. So tell me what uh, happened to you during the, uh, the second day. <laughs> so uh, the vice president of Maxo was supposed to present uh, and he was. 
he was quite ready he had all of his slides uh but right around at the very last minute i mean he i mean when we when we went out to pick up the food because that was his responsibility to go get the food for the event when we pick up the food he was not looking good at that time at all um but he told me he's going to park his car and come back uh, well i'm i'm assuming he got stomach flu or something like that because as soon as he was as soon as he dropped the uh you know dropped the food off he just went home and just start throwing up so he was not feeling that well unfortunately he did not notify me and he didn't tell me that 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 happened so this entire time i was waiting for him to show up and nobody uh nothing happened and nobody told me anything about what's going on i even texted him no reply and uh oh, right man. when the third speaker shows up i'm like okay well they're expecting a fourth speaker to show up and if i don't do that we're ending this kind of a little too early and it's we're ending it at a very awkward phase so i just very quickly got on my phone uh and then i looked at the email that dr chan and i had at the at the very last uh conference that we went to um and i looked at the slides and i said okay you know what if i'm going to do this i'm going to go ahead and real quick put get these slides look at it glance at it once and i did that in all that in 30 second of time frame and uh i got it on my drive went up there and i just started presenting immediately so yeah i did something that i'm not very proud of i don't like to be unprepared for anything so yeah we could tell from your last hour of telling us how much yeah i i mean i got um, i got i got so unprepared and i got so nervous and uh i presented and i was not happy about it but what made me happy was the scoring that i got at the end i got such positive feedback out of it and i'm like only if i had if i was more prepared uh overall as a result i placed in third place out of all the seven speakers got in and i'm like should i accept this or not cuz i was not technically oh, supposed to present yeah. you were the filler you had to fill in i was the filler i was yeah. the last minute thing uh yeah but, but you made it seem like it was like completely natural like nothing went, what even was going wrong which is imp- i was impressed when we were cleaning up and no the, the thing is is that as i said so this was uh this was relatively fresh not fresh fresh but relatively fresh i mean uh this this uh presentation i had i presented the similar presentation in uh back in june in atlanta for the american controls conference yeah. and uh i guess i still remember the part of the things that i i said it during that conference so when i glanced at it everything just came back to me and uh pretty much word by word what i said it at that time at the expo was basically what i said it at uh at the American Controls Conference. Yeah, how much preparation did you do for that? Uh not as much as I was proud of. So. Really? So <laughs> <laughs> uh I mean <coughs> initially I spent a month uh preparing the slides and everything. Yeah. Uh then uh then came in the back and forth with Dr. Chen. So uh when I emailed to when I emailed to him about a month before the conference, he didn't get back to me until it was like 2 weeks of the conference. and uh then i i polished the slides according to his feedback and i sent it back to him again we had these back and forth we initially did back and forth like four times and the latest version of the file or latest version of the presentation i didn't get it until the day when we arrived at atlanta oh man so i had a day and a half to prepare for that uh, presentation 
Yeah, well, that was kind of not up to you, but how much are, did you do rehearsals? We, we, I did one rehearsal uh, for that conference. That's it, with Zafay. And, uh, well, with Zafay and, and in front of uh, everybody else as well. So I did one, one rehearsal and then on, on the day of my presentation, and that's it. Uh, after that, I was done. Uh, we, we went to, I think, on the morning... I, I decided to just clear my head. Everybody decided to just clear our heads. So we were not that far from uh, Georgia Aquarium. We all went to Georgia Aquarium. We had a good time. Oh, nice. Came back, well prepared, and I'm like, let's go present. So we went out there, we presented. I think uh, everybody liked it for based on what I could tell. Uh, so the feedback was pretty good. So I was like, okay, not a bad experience at the end. Yeah. Well... I was just gonna. I was gonna say that all the preparation you did was gonna help you after you uh, internalized it and for the, the presentation where you had to, you know, wing it. But no, it, I mean, in, in terms of pre preparation, I mean, if you think about it, if it's something that you did, like if it, if it's your own work, mm. then if you if you really think about it, do you really need to be that well prepared? Like, do you really need that long to be well prepared? I mean, it's no. your own work. Yeah. You can talk about it for hours and yeah. hours. Well, that's not the hard part. It's condensing it down condensing to those important points. Condensing it down was the, yeah, that, yeah. Is, that is very true. I, initially, I had about uh, 30, 40 slides uh, within oh, the margin no. of uh, 15 minutes. And I, I, I timed myself. I got myself to 12 minutes and I you know, left for three minutes for- 30 slides? For 30 slides. Yeah. Because uh, for Whoa. for majority of the slides, I had like uh, a lot of technical work, like you know, hey, here's the differential equation that yeah. governed it all. Here's the control law that governed it all. <laughs> here's the result. Here's yeah. a bunch of figures like yeah. over the slides. Um, and you know, Dr. Chen was like, this this will be this is good, but this will be a little too much. Um, yeah. So you want to condense it down. And I'm like, okay, where where do you want me to condense? It's like cut about half of them. <laughs> <laughs> I said, just half. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Cut about half of them? Yeah. Where? And like, to me, it felt like this was a perfect presentation, right? I mean, as a mindset. So I'm like, yeah. okay, I got to cut this in a half. Where do I begin? Hmm. And then I started cutting it. And I'm like, I didn't quite get it to the half. I got about thirds of it. He's like, uh, that's okay. I'll do it. And then he did it and he <laughs> put it in. And then he's like, here's what I think. And I'm like, but what if I add one more? And he's like, okay. And then that was the final one. And we, okay. we decided to uh, we decided to go with that. Hmm. Yeah. One criticism I had during uh, the presentations was some of the slides, there was like reading a novel where the, the font was pretty small. And like, you, <laughs> I feel like bullet points, there should be just one, not even a full like sentence, uh, but just a point that you can look at because you're, you're trying to look at the, the reader and um, mm -hmm. he's, he's reading off the slides and then he, you have to look at the slide and if there's a graphic, there's just so much going on, you can't read an entire thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know too much about science behind like how to keep readers or you know people's attention during the presentation or anything like that. I do know that it has to be a balance between presentation and yourself. Yes. So... I do agree, but uh, there were certain things that I had to write as a sentence because yes. they were statements that we were claiming in our paper. Okay. So yeah. uh, if I if I don't write them as a sentence, then that's not uh, that's not really doing any justice to the presentation itself because these were the claims that we were talking about, yeah. and then some of the other things were just like definition, pure definitions that that has to be 
written out as um, you know as as a sentences rather than a bullet point. So yeah, I mean I do agree though. There were there were. I mean, just don't write like no, don't write Harry Potter for the yeah, entire like, slide. I mean, uh, what are the reader? What is it? You have like ten seconds on the slide, and what is, what is the believe, audience going to look at? Yeah, I believe it was the uh, it was it was the slide that introduced what was the lean burn gasoline engine, uh, and that I can definitely feel like being an overwhelm to to the to the to the re, you know people who are reading this. I don't think slides. it was a specifically yours. It was um. There were there were a lot of them that that did that. I mean, I can if I can just say from top of my head, Zafay's slide about those <laughs> equations definitely overwhelmed everybody. It yeah. just felt like that it was something that you know. I mean, I looked at it and I'm like, okay, impressive. Yeah. Yes. Looking forward I'm, to I'm reading sure your paper. I'm sure they're all approved and like, they're all good. Yeah, like I mean, you know, take your word for it. Definitely, I mean, you know, you have to think about it. I mean, of course, these are proved mathematics. There's yeah. nothing uh, unproved here because these are published papers. And they will not be published without being peer reviewed by somebody else. So, like, definitely, these are good mathematics, and these are um, proved mathematics. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that part we just have to accept it as it is. And if you want to, if you really want to challenge it, get that paper, read it, work it out yourself, and see if it makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. One thing I joked about with Zifa was when all the people were in that room, all the Emmy. You know, doctors and it was like him giving his thesis defense but one thing that cody was worried about was um you know if someone's more of an expert because they're you're still uh, students right and, you, mm -hmm. know, you don't have your uh, doctorates and yeah. someone that knows more they call you out your paper and like <laughs> just that that anxiety of making sure that everything is you know fact-checked and yeah. if, if it's already published yeah it, you you just you still have to be uh knowledgeable about everything yes, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's very true. So one of the things that, one of the biggest anxiety that I had, uh, that I ever had in my entire life was when I was defending, defending for my master thesis. Because uh, I know that whatever the committee member uh, asks, I have to be able to answer that. If I don't answer it, I don't get my signature and I fail. Uh, not, not that I should discourage people from being uh, getting into graduate school 99% of the time that will never happen you will get your masters you know there's 1% of chance that you will, might fail your defense hardly ever happens that you fail your defense uh, because your advisor will not let you defend if you're not ready okay but the anxiety the fact that they will ask you any questions and you should be able to answer it was getting me so uh, the way I overcame that was just knowing that this is my research and I have worked on it for two years, I should be able to answer all the questions that they should have. Yeah. So that, that, that little voice in the back of my head kept calming me down saying that, hey, you got this, you got this. But I was still very nervous about what they asked. And yeah. one of my committee members did ask a question that I was not sure of. And that was that, how does the lean burn gasoline engine is more efficient than your regular ones? And it just got me. I'm like, oh, my God, that was the very first paper that I ever read. And I don't even remember all the details. Like, only thing I could remember was that it's efficient and it has something to do with the geometry. And I'm like, I got to get back to you on that. It, it was the very first paper that I read. I uh, don't have the exact answer, but it has something to do with the geometry of the cylinders. Okay. And yeah. uh, he was like, 
okay, that's fine. And and eventually I went back home and I found the paper. I took it with him and I'm like, here's here's the answer that you were looking for. And of course, that did not deny me from getting my master's. It's just that it made me feel <laughs> like, you know, for, for a brief moment, you, you know, the time slows down and you feel like you're having a heart attack. Yeah, that's that's how it felt for that time. I was like, oh, my God, this is bad. This is really bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the graduate studies is a little, a little more high level than undergrad. Well, definitely, you go, you dig more into the fundamentals when you go into the grad school because yeah. you're you're going specifically in one particular field, so you're digging more and more into it, yeah. rather than just learning everything at at the at the top high level. Do you did you choose to do a defense? Isn't there a non thesis? There master's? is there is a non thesis option. But why do you? choose that i really like the project the project that i was working on was very interesting and the fact that this nobody has ever thought of this idea was uh was very intriguing and it was it was quite a reward coming up with this theory so we came up with the idea that we could in fact turn a gasoline highly efficient gasoline engine into a uh, reduced emission system so the highly efficient engine was producing a lot of emission. We wanted to control it. We introduced the SCR. And not only that, we realized that, hey, uh, we can make the most of this engine by converting it into a hybrid. Hmm. And we can save a lot of fuel just by that. And the theory, with, you know, the theory stood. And I was very, very impressed by that, the fact that theory stood. It took me, I think it took me like good uh, 10, 15 minutes to explain my master thesis to my best friend. And he's like, so wait, are you working on a, are you working on an engine? I'm like, no, 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 I'm working on the after treatment system. And he's like, but I thought you were also working on an engine. Yes, engine is part of it. Yeah. But I'm, my primary goal was the after treatment system. And then he's like, so are you working on a hybrid? Or are you working on as a standard car? I'm like, no, no, I'm designing, I'm proposing a hybrid. Eventually, it will be a hybrid. But again, main focus is the after-treatment system. And still, as of right now, so they're like, so are you still working on diesel engines? I'm like, no, 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 no. After-treatment system of the diesel. Not the diesel engine. Diesel engine is part of it, yes. Yeah. But the after-treatment system. Was he, uh, what's his major? Uh, as I said, he was, he's doing his PhD in education. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, doesn't have the uh, engineering background. He does not, but he's, he's he was one of those guys in high school that uh, always worked on his cars. So yeah, he, so he should know what a he, he catalyst is. Yeah, he knows what it is, but it's it's it the the problem statement that okay. I have to you know introduce is so I guess uh, complex because. As I said, it, during my master's, not only I'm working on the engine, I'm also working on the after-treatment system, and I'm also working on a hybrid part of it. So there, it gets it gets a little bit confusing when I was when I started explaining these things to my friends and all. Uh-huh. So that's why I'm like, you know what? From now on, I'm just going to start from very beginning. Long time ago, there <laughs> was this uh, thing. There called, was a big bang. Yeah, you know, long and, uh, time ago, there was this thing called engines, and they work on this thermodynamic cycle. Oh, one man. works this way, uh, other yeah. ones, you know, works this way. Uh, so uh, don't just start with a uh, thermodynamic cycles of them. I did so bad on that thermo two exam, the first one with all the auto cycle and yeah. Uh, I, I had sadly I had to review it, so the part of me really hated it that I had to review it. I'm like, yeah. uh huh. You should know it, right? I, I mean, I should, but then again, I never worked 
on those things. Uh, yeah. I mean, once you take the, that's what I don't like about uh, some of the things about mechanical engineering. I love the fact that we are so broad, but at the same time, I hate that fact. Because not only we can be, uh, once you get your bachelor's, not only you can be in field of like energy, you can be in field of controls, you can be in field of heat transfer, fluid dynamics. I mean, just the dynamics itself. Yeah. You, yeah, you name it, and you know, you're you're you can be you can do it. So I loved it, but I hated it at the same time. Even I hated the choices that I made when I was an undergrad when I had to take the electives. I took robotics, I took steam power plants, I took a math course, <laughs> and then I forgot my fourth one. But Man, yeah. I I would refuse to take any more math after linear because that, that was like my last math class. And I, I, I usually say, like I said, where all engineers are, are have very similar brains in, in terms of we like having problems to solve and we're not really, when, when it comes to people, it's a, it's a little harder. We, we can train ourselves, but we're not intuitively I think the, the one of the things that I guess, uh, in my opinion at least, I feel like that one of the things that's misleading about the word engineering is that people tend to think that we're more hands-on field. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you think about it, yes, we are hands-on field compared to what other fields do. But before you can get, as I, as I stated before, before you get to the good stuff, you have to learn the theory yeah. that comes behind it. So you gotta got to have a balance of both. I think it's a balance of both, but people tend to feel that it's more practical rather than theoretical. Yeah, Which, I mean, if, if you think of like the manufacturing side or the testing side, that like there's that first half of all the R and D and the product mm -hmm. development that's just completely on paper, and then yeah. and then you can manufacture something that's validated on, exactly. in, through experiments. You're not going to build something and then figure out that after tooling everything. Yeah, that it's not like, gonna I mean that's work. that's that's just a waste of money. Yeah, uh, and and not to mention that's just. No company is gonna like that, right? No, like no, I mean, no company. Money down the drain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> unless you have, unless you have, so you know, companies that are, that are okay with wasting money, then yeah. then you know. Well, with three D printers, it's a lot easier to have a, a initial design if it doesn't have the material properties. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, well, so interesting thing is, is that uh, I know. So once again, this is one of those things that not too many people know about. That ME department also focuses on three uh, D printing, and. Uh, we have we have a research group led by Dr. Fidan, uh, who does amazing work uh, here. So one of my one of my old friend slash roommate, uh, he graduated with his master's here with Dr. Fidan, and his research was on uh, finding out if you can. Um, I believe was it copper? Yeah, he was trying. He was three D printing copper, and then his research proved that. Uh, they achieved, I think, 80% of the same uh, tensile strength as if you would if you were to just manufacture it on in in you know in the factories. Mm. So we have we have teams that will and we have teams that will do like that does a lot of good research trying to find out um, the difference between 3D printing and manufacturing it on your own. And it's doing pretty good job so far. Like I mean, we can in fact achieve a good amount of tensile strength yeah from just from 3d printing things yeah i, I was talking to another um, grad student that was working on uh, th carbon fiber 3d printing which is pretty wild to think that um 
they have like complete strands and then indiv- individual segments of three uh, carbon fiber. Mm-hmm. But just the the thought of you know three D printing is usually with PLA and it's not very strong in terms of um, like compared to steel or mm-hmm. aluminum. But the ability once companies figure out how to three D print their prototypes out of you know steel or carbon fiber, it, yeah. it's just completely changes the way that the product development is going to yeah. be completed. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited for yeah. Uh, the, the biggest challenge that comes out of 3D printing is the quality rather than... It's doable. Like, I mean, you can take any, any material, you can melt it down and you can convert <laughs> it into a 3D printing type of thing. That's not the, that's not the undoable part, I guess. The, the, the biggest challenge is, is that... Uh, is the quality that comes with it. Like, is it as good as if you were to manufacture it in, in a factory? You can you can get the smoothness and everything out of 3D printing. Yes, all of that stuff is good. But um, So my friend was looking into like bubbles that can uh, potentially create when you 3D print a copper. Mm. So between between two layers, if there's space, that's, that's not good. I mean, that's potentially that can lead to deteriorations and uh material failure so yeah i mean you gotta you gotta look into those things those those small things that we we tend to be like okay if it's going to be a small scale project but what if they take it to the big level yeah well i don't know if uh, 3d printing will ever be a scalable uh i feel like it always will be more efficient to have a um tool like a cast or a die compared to 3D printing. Uh, I, I, something with 3D printing would have to change rapidly for mass production of parts to be efficient with 3D printing. I I, I would not know anything about that, and, and but it feels like... Uh, I mean, it is, it is just a Cartesian robot trying to print stuff. So, I mean, it depends on how efficient yeah. your programming and all that stuff, or yeah. how, how good your tolerances are and stuff like that. Yeah. But I then, mean, a, then again, like I mean, I agree with you. Like sometimes you you can't just three D print things. You need that casting, or if you need that the 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 good old manufacturing process yeah. in order for you to get that material done f- quickly. Yeah, and just think of how fast uh, the robot arm is for each you know layer. You know, how, uh, have you done any three D printing in, in the past? No, okay. not since the robot arm that we printed a while ago. Do you remember what material? It was a PLA. Yeah. So, what the um you you did you design it in SolidWorks? Yeah. Yeah. So, but SolidWorks it, uh, goes into a slicer that the three D printing program can read. So it basically tells every single point where it, the robot arm is going to be at a, sp- at a specific um, time. Mm-hmm. So it's going to basically draw the entire thing layer by layer. So I, I feel like the amount of time that takes compared to say you know just pouring. Uh, a molten uh, copper into a, a die or f- like forging it, just stamping but, but it. But again, I mean, that's a small scale, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you have a small 3D printer. Of course, you're not going to have a uh, high-level processors and all that stuff that will compute all these things in efficient times and so on. Or you're not going to have like a faster motors that can move so quickly. I mean, if, you, if you're going to take it to the industrial level, then you're going to, ha- you know, in- industry is not going to buy a 3d printer that's not going to be efficient enough so 
yeah, when you take it to the industry level, maybe they will have quicker responses to all these things than what we're thinking about in terms of the, what we see in small scale. Yeah. Yeah, it's just prototype versus, um, you know, the mass uh, manufacturing. Yeah, that yeah. You, you it, it, can be, it can be different. But again, I, uh, this material science, uh, material science slash 3D printing is not my field, but based off what I could see so far, uh, and based off some of my friends did their research in it, it seems like that it's definitely leading or it's it's definitely exciting field for yeah. for manufacturing. Yeah, I, I feel like right now for mechanical engineers, it's pretty much as good as it's going to be. Like, I don't know, maybe the the 70s was as good as this, but with with all the new technologies right now, I, I feel like I, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Well, no. I mean, there there was a lot of things that we were uh, that that it's good to be excited about as mechanical engineer. Like, I mean, uh, as you saw on Research Expo, the material science field is yeah. quite advancing. You have the energy uh, uh, field that's also really exciting. Like, how can you use the renewable energy to you know make it more efficient as possible? I mean, all that stuff is mechanical work. Yeah. And then, yes, we have the vehicle engineering field. Uh, we're all trying to rush towards electric vehicles and <laughs> how to make it more efficient oh, uh, in that sense. Then you have the manufacturing field that's that's doing all these things. So, I mean, there's plenty, there's plenty of research that's out there. I mean, just because the technology has advanced, that does not mean we're slowing down. We're, we're advancing just as much. Yeah. Well, I was just coming into... Um college not really knowing what to do and everyone's like oh you got to be cs because you know all the other engineering that's going to get out of the way compared to all the if you, you know, think about it if you think about it in terms of uh that like i mean you know if you're if you're worried about that like how everything is going autonomizations and all that stuff uh i really like what our department is doing where we're they're they're not just focusing solely on the mechanical theories and things like that they're also forcing you to learn a little bit of uh computer science as well or i guess they're forcing you to use the tools that's been built for us that can be that can require some skills right like i mean of course we're not high level computer scientists but you can get your way out of like a matlab code yeah right and i feel like that's going to be the next generations of mechanical engineers in overall we will have to learn all that stuff i mean i'm learning all that stuff as we speak not only i'm yeah. learning high level matlab but i'm also working on these theories that that is def that defines us as mechanical engineers yeah you know i like thinking of a like my entire under, undergraduate career and then it's culminating into i don't know if i told you my senior design project and it's completely simulink matlab just yeah. designing a cvt in a, a model compared to what uh, the Baja team is doing now. So, yeah. I mean, I was really a, a, averse to CS. I actually started as a computer science and then computer engineering, and I did not like what we learned Java, and I, 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 there's a reason why that, <laughs> that programming language is kind of going out the door, but, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a certain necessary evil, and it really actually helps after I, um, learning everything yeah like i mean coding in, in my opinion is just going to be part of us as an engineer regardless yeah. so if, even if you're in uh doesn't matter if you're just if you're in mechanical engineering or if you're in a computer uh, you know civil engineer or if you're even electrical engineers 
we all do. Yeah. yeah, we all gotta learn how to code. And that's just gonna be one of those things that um, that's just gonna be a requirement. Like to start off, I guess uh, I started off my undergrad as a as a civil oh, as a chemical engineer. So they, when I took programming class, they were recommending that I I learn Fortran instead of MATLAB, which is a completely different yeah. uh, language, but uh, similar in some sense. So at the time being, I took Fortran. And then when I switched to mechanical engineering, they said that I had to learn MATLAB. And I'm like, I don't know anything about MATLAB in the first place. So I know, I know the struggle it can be for people who have never touched a language and they have to learn it. But uh, it, it has become a necessity now. So yeah. you've got to learn it. If you can't code or if you can't understand a single command of coding, then you're in trouble. Maybe, maybe think about learning that first before you can start jumping into the, to the world of engineering. Did you uh, always have uh, a liking of engineering, like growing up? Uh, well, I don't really know. Pers- actually, to be honest with you, all of this started when I was in high school, and uh, well, actually, all of this started when I was when I first came to America, and I took the math class here. And uh, during eighth grade, I took math class and on the board, there was a algebra equation and I was in pre-algebra and I solved the algebra equation and teacher saw and teacher was like, do you know these things? I'm like, yeah, I learned a little bit in India. And uh, she was like, so let me put you in advanced math. So she put me in advanced math. Next thing I know, I'm taking calculus. And when I took calculus, I'm like, this is really interesting math. I like I like it, like as in like, this is so cool in the sense that you can practically draw the behavior of a curve just by doing four simple steps, right? Like, I mean, finding minimum, maximums, finding if it's going to be concave up, concave down, and you got it. You, you, you learn how to draw an entire curve based on these <laughs> couple of steps. And I was, I was like, this is so interesting. So when I, I, I talked to my calculus uh, teacher, she recommended that I should go in the field of engineering. And that's how it all it all begins. So I was like, wait, now question becomes which engineering, because there are so many. And mm. um, I really liked the idea uh, of chemical engineering because I was really good at chemistry at that time as well. So I'm like, you know what, chemistry, math combined together, bam. And then when I took chemical engineering, it was not what I thought it was. Really? What, what uh, well, I, I wanted it to go more towards like nuclear chemical and things like that, okay. but chemical department over here they focus more on biochemical or at least at that time they did so uh, i just decided that this is not the field for me and the programming class that i took the guy over there uh the professor uh should i forgot his name and he's not even here anymore but um he recommended me uh dr sundrum uh he's also retired but he recommended me dr sundrum he was a senior design uh, professor over here and he's like just take a look at the senior design projects that mechanical engineers do if you like it that's your field so I did that I talked to some of the senior design students I really liked what they were doing and I'm like okay this is my field and then as I said as, as, when I when I took DMC on my senior year I decided I'm like this is the coolest field I have ever chosen so far <laughs> and it's sad that this is my last semester so I was like, you know, what? I'm not done learning. I want to learn more because this is not, 
I just got excited about my field and you're telling me that now I got to end it and I got to find a job and do all that stuff. No, no, no. I want to learn more. So I decided to be a grad student immediately after that. What was your senior design project? Uh, I took it. Uh, I took it when senior design was just one semester. Really? One and two was combined into one semester. So yet you finished the entire thing in in one semester, like four months. In even less than that, because I took it at, uh, over the summer, and it was really? the, it was the last summer when they offered it like that. That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, mine was to. And again, because over the summer, it was not as impressive. So mine was that we decided as a group, because we never, we didn't even had a sponsor project. So only thing we had was Jeff at machine, uh, you know, machine shop. Uh, and he was like, I can spare you as much wood as you want. You can build with, you know, can, you can build whatever you want with wood. With materials, not that much, only some of them. So with the amount of materials that we had, we decided to build this coat hanger, automatic coat hanger rack that we thought was a really cool idea at the time being. And of course, I got really into the control side of it. The rest of the team decided to do more in the manufacturing side of it. And we ended up building one and it was it was uh, built in two ways. It was built mechanically and it was built electrically. So we built a controller for the electric part and for the mechanical part, we built a gear system that will go around like that. But yeah, that was, we built all of that over the time period of the summer. So like two months? Yeah, uh, three months. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's pretty impressive because, uh, no, but you, if you, if you look at the, if you look at the product, it was terrible because <laughs> it was, it, it was, it was poorly built. <laughs> it was things barely working, like, uh, you know, working at the bare minimum. But we had all the math and everything worked yeah. out, so we were happy about yeah, that. Yeah, it was just a prototype. Yeah. Well, did you have any woodworking experience? Or yeah, the actually, team did? yeah. So we, uh, when, we, when we were building the coat, ranger, uh, coat hangers um, control box, yeah, we built all of that out of wood. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear everyone's <laughs> different experiences. It never, it never goes completely to plan, especially no. if uh, if you're constrained on time by that much. Yeah, I mean, and again, uh, that 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 experience helped out when I was taking the mechatronics class because I told my partner, I'm like, look, if you're thinking we're gonna start building robots on the day one, you're out of your mind. Like that's not gonna happen. Yeah. So I told him right away, I'm like, look, we gotta plan this out, you know, because it did not go well with my senior design. I don't want it to go terrible <laughs> in this one. We ended up uh, achieving 95% of the goals that we wanted it. We still wanted it to have the robot to pick up stuff, and we never got to. But other than that, we achieved everything else. So I was like, We're, uh, I'm, I'm that's, happy. That's pretty good. Tell me about, uh, did you move over here when you were a kid? or did No, you when I was uh, 13, I moved in here. here. So, uh, so what, uh, what city were you from? I was born in a city called Ahmedabad in India, which is like on the west side of India. Can you tell me a little bit about your immigration experience? Sure. Uh, so growing up in India, we had, I mean, it was a completely different environment, obviously. Yeah. Uh, of course, completely different school system. And that's why I, I guess I have really, really, really big appreciation for uh school systems that we have over here in America. Even though, yeah, it sounds like, you know, a lot of times I heard here in news that it's not as good. But the biggest thing is, is that at least uh, schools over here are free, or at least through the high school. 
or yeah, public schools are free. Yeah, public schools are at least free. Until college. Yeah. Um, but the amount of the quality of education I got out of public school over here versus quality of publications, uh, of quality of public education you get in India, completely different. Really? Yeah. So uh, I mean, you know, of course, same mindset. A private school will tend to give you more uh, better experience than public yeah. in India as well. More so, uh, uh, lower uh, student to teacher ratio yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, all that, yeah. But at least uh, in in India, uh, at least where at, at the time when I was growing up, um, the private schools they were just about as it's the same you know population wise in India as well oh, wow. as a public school over here. So we would have we would have good number of students in the class. We would have like 40, uh, 30, 40 students in one class. Oof. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a similar in that sense. And then, uh, and of course, the, the policies when it comes to teaching. In India, they're allowed to use negative reinforcement versus over here. Well, what is <laughs> negative? Is that uh, Let's a just polite way say, to say? Yeah, yeah. the polite way of saying they, they were allowed to hit us. Oh uh, if we made I can't, yeah that, that would never happen here that yeah. hasn't, I don't know if that even happened like back in like you know the 50s no, they, the, were, they the, were just racist back then but yeah I don't know if they but ever. they were they were allowed to do that and not only that's, that that's the uh, our parents were enforcing it too they were like if he messes up feel free to you know do whatever is necessary yeah. and it was it was uh despite all of that we had a you know and and on top of all of that I should not say despite on top of all of that, it was a huge competitive world as well yeah. over there because um, we would all compete against each other to get to the, you know, being the number one in the class. And it gets so competitive to the point where I remember, I think it was sixth grade in India. I came in second place and I, uh, my overall percentages. So it's not like A, B, C and D over here where we have a GPAs like 3.0, 4.0. Overall, wh however many classes you take, it gets uh, scaled by 100%. So uh, the number one was 98.6, and mine was 98.2. So 0.4. Yeah, and I got so mad. <laughs> so mad. Oh, so man. mad. And, uh, oh, that's unfortunate. But, but it, to, to, to point out, the reason why I said that was to point out how competitive it gets. Like, you're off by just that much. You know, and yeah. that makes a huge difference. Really? So, I mean, and it does. It definitely does. So, even it, at that, you you were not even thirteen. No, I mean, it it makes it, you know your your record from beginning of the school mattered a lot at that time. I don't know if they're still doing these things. I don't know if it's still competitive in India as we speak, uh, but it it mattered a lot. Your entire record matters a lot when you're trying to apply for the job or even get into universities. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff mattered. You had to be number one on all these things. Not only that, you had to excel at all these things. So when I first came over here, as I said, I had a huge appreciation for this, uh, you know, the school systems that we, we have over here. Because not only mm -hmm. it was relaxed, it was too relaxed. And I loved yeah. every <laughs> single bit of it. I was like, um, oh, yeah. There's not so much pressure on me for being on top of the class. Not only that, they don't even tell you what other students get. You nope, just, it's none just of all, that matters. It's all personal. It's 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 personal, and not only that. I mean, I was nailing all the classes, so I was getting A's on all of them. Well, if you're so born was, in that environment, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I was I was just cruising through my high school, 
didn't even have to study or anything like that. And, yeah, and, that happens. But but see, at, at the same time, that 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 put a very bad, uh, or I guess I would I would say that put a really bad behavior on me because mm, I yeah. thought that if I'm gonna stay here, when I started my undergrad over here, I was just like, if it's gonna be the same way. I don't it's need not, to study. It's not the same. Yeah, no, it's it's it, it wasn't until I failed my physics. So I was like, oh, sure. Okay. Oh, is that what you failed? <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I did well in physics. But I, I Calculus 1, when they started talking about the limits and integrals, and man, that, that destroyed me. No, I, I, I failed, I failed uh, physics because I got a little too overconfident about myself. I'm like, yeah, I don't need to study. Yeah, you know, oh, I, no. I studied well enough. And on top of that, I had, uh, you know, college credit for calculus as well. So I was in calculus. Cal- too before I on my very first semester when I started so again my ego was extremely boosted and I was like I'm flying high and I was doing really good job in chemistry I'm doing really good in in calculus I'm doing good on the other classes like electives and all that stuff and physics was the only one that was getting me and (laughs) and and it it wasn't until I failed it and I'm like you know what you can't do that buddy you got gotta focus gotta focus here yeah, that's one problem with uh, feeling too relaxed in high school is if you're not pulling all those AP classes and you're just kind of skating by, you don't really have the. But even when I was taking AP classes, I was I was cruising. That 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 that's what made really? it. That's that's what made 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 it worse was that the fact that the AP classes were tough, but they were not that tough relatively to anything else. To undergrad, would you? How would you compare them to physics and versus you know uh, calculus? in AP oh they were similar like I mean the the okay. the, the pressure load was similar because I, I remember uh, working with my uh, calculus teacher we would be behind schedule and she would call us at her home uh, entire team we will call at the home and she'll like give us a private lecture oh, just no. so that we can catch up and not only that she will call us at her home so we can uh, we can practice for the AP exams and thank goodness we did because I ended up getting, you know, credit for it. So I was, um, I was extremely thankful for that. So, yeah. you know, I was like, okay, this is good. But then when I started my undergrad, again, uh, I was I was doing really good job on the other classes. So I'm like, if this is the level of input it requires me, then I don't think I need to study that much for physics. And yeah, that was a bad idea. Yeah. I think of back on it, I, I feel really bad for all those students that, you know, were top of their class to high school, they get into college, and then everyone else is at the same level as them. They're, as smart, they're all as smart uh, engineering students, yeah. and then they get smacked by all those yeah. weed-out classes for yeah. semester. And then there's that second one about junior year where you're taking, like, all the actual engineering classes, like heat transfer and thermo, and, and that, that, that wipes out a, a yeah. ton of the students. Yeah. So. I mean, it's it's... Uh, if you think about it, like if you're in a university, obviously, you know, you had good grades. That's one of the reasons why yeah, you're here. Yeah. Or you had good grades to get into university, right? Yeah. Either either you were on top of the world or you barely just made it, yeah. one or the other. Yeah. But in other words, you are, uh, you know, you're not one of those students who consistently failed everything. You're, you're, you're a good student. Yeah. Uh, when you come down over here, it's it's everybody's at your level yes yeah. of course or or uh some of them are even higher than what you think you are yeah so uh, you cannot you cannot like think that you're on top of the world all the time now you gotta check your ego because 
then you forget to study. <laughs> and and it, it's in my opinion, it's it's a necessary experience too. If you oh, are yeah. one of those, uh, if if you are one of those students who consistently had such a high ego boost throughout their life, you need that kick because then then it makes you wonder. It's like, okay, well, you know what? Up until now, everything was easy. Now I got to actually work on it. Yeah. To get it. Did you uh, have to learn English when you were in India? Uh, I I did not. No, but I learned basics. Yes. So I learned phrases. Uh, I learned uh, grammar, uh, which, again, thinking thinking about it while I'm speaking, you're probably thinking, really, you learned grammar? Your grammar is really bad. Yeah. No. But uh, when I met you, I didn't think that you were like a, uh, you immigrated here. Like your English is not as terrible. Yeah. As, uh, like Zafe, I'll call I, I had, I had, I mean, <laughs> for that, I have my friends to thank. Uh, they helped me out really really like they they helped me out throughout the entire journey yeah. uh so when i first came over here at age of 13 i had a heavy accent uh, i i barely knew english and i was barely getting by so i was i was uh, I, I was i knew english just enough to engage in a very small conversation and my friends helped me out a lot a lot like every time i would say something that's <laughs> they would help you out by what calling you out <laughs> Well, they were. I, I was okay with them picking on me like that yeah. because I was like, okay, so how do you truly say it? Because I always follow up with, so how do you say it? Like, how do you pronounce these things in, in your accent? You tell me. And they will tell me. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'll work on it. And next thing they know is that I'm losing my accent and I'm picking up speed in my English. So I'm not, I'm not thinking as much as I used to. Yeah. And it just started becoming my second language. And sooner or later it became my primary language so and you uh, still read and write and speak Indian? yeah yeah I, I i know i know uh two languages from india uh three if you count sanskrit but sanskrit i know barely like are the two barely. uh different dialects or are they completely different different languages so one is the national language hindi and the other one is my mother language where i grew up which is called gujarati oh okay and that's interesting. Yeah. That, you know, the same country, you keep, but two completely different languages. Yeah, sometimes uh, some of my friends, they're still surprised every now and then whenever they're around my parents. I just go from talking like this to my mother language in, in like a flip of switch. And they're like, how do you do that? Like, how can you how can you just go back and forth between languages so quickly? And I'm like, well, I mean, when you have enough practice that's all it takes it, it just becomes a second nature to yeah, you yeah you don't even think about it yeah it's point, like which I, I don't even know like uh, as soon as i see my family members or as soon as i see some of my friends from india i just start switching to my language and and while my other friends are just like staring like huh how how, how does he uh, do that? i mean that's just a, because americans don't learn anything <laughs> they only need to learn english and everyone else the whole world is uh, learned english so I mean, we're uh, we're enforced to learn English in India as well. Yeah. So, like, I mean, in in India, you're taught English from um, even even from like the first grade, really? like as early oh. as the first grade. So, I, I knew I knew the alphabets, I knew the basic grammar, yeah. but uh, I never like I never took uh, high level English in India. Yeah, well, that, I think I think that's gonna be a huge advantage for India as they modernize because. It, it, compared to like you know China, no one speaks <laughs> English there. But India, like it's an entire country, like a, over a billion people that can yeah that have the the important skill on yeah. The, like no matter what happens, you can uh, like you can go to India right now and you will find somebody that you can have a 
proper conversation with or at least yeah. enough conversation to get by what you want to do yeah. so that's totally doable yeah yeah one problem that <laughs> during like during the uh the presentations when um people have accents it definitely even if you're conscious of that you, you shouldn't judge people based on it that no. it's it's subconscious that uh you you will rate them lower in their uh speaking skill because they it's not their mother language and it, it kind of I mean, it's unfortunate but it's i mean it, you wish i always wish like whenever zafay talks i really wish every now and then i'm like dude i wish i can help you lose that accent like because yeah. you have so much interesting things to say and every now and then i have to listen to you three times to understand what's going on and uh it's it's inconvenience and i understand that but i'm at the same time i'm fully accepting it uh, for who he is like and, and on top of that he talks fast yeah that yeah. which makes it worse Rap like God. like buddy I'm, I'm already having a tough time understanding you and you're talking way too fast on top uh, of that it I mean, makes it it makes it so like it, it increases the difficulty to its next level and I, I mean and when he's talking about like level of uh, complexity when he's <laughs> talking in his uh, presentation like Cody warned me about it that he's gonna talk three times as fast and he's gonna be talking about you know 10 million differential equations yes. for his uh, I mean he told paper. me he's like I talk fast when I get nervous and I'm like you see but that's the thing you gotta you gotta take a deep breath you gotta step back not be overwhelmed and yeah. just talk like you would naturally like yeah have a conversation with yourself and think about it like that and maybe that will help you yeah. you know relax yourself down because yeah. uh, I remember in Atlanta when, when, so I had 15 minutes to present but he had one of those rapid sessions uh, where he only had 5 minutes to present <laughs> and out of those 5 uh, the common courtesy is to leave 2 minutes for a question and answer so, so in reality 3 minutes, three minutes to nice. present his entire paper and he was freaking out he's like dude, I only have three minutes to talk about these things. Like, how am I going to do that? Mm -hmm. And I just told him, I'm like, just relax. Take a deep breath. Three minutes is still a lot than you think it is. So just, just calm down. And he did, he ended up doing a really good job. So yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm happy for you, dude. You got it. You, you, you did what you had to do. Yeah. I hope that he um, was able to convey, convey his ideas. Like we talked about the engineer that just has brilliant ideas in their basement. It's not going to go anywhere. So, he, uh, I definitely try to make him improve, even though he, he thinks it's okay. I mean, we can all improve. And yeah. I mean, we all learn from each other. Like, he's, he's helping me uh, see things from, the, from different approaches when it comes to my research. So it's, 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 we're helping each other out. At the end of the day, that's, that's, that's what, to me at least, grad school is all about. You, yeah. you collaborate with others and you learn, you know, throughout this entire time that hey in undergrad you were all on your own but that's not that's not how it is like I mean when it, when it comes to research and all that stuff it's done a lot better when you're working as a group yeah because you get to see a lot of different point of views that you'd never thought you'd be able to see like I, I helped him solve one of the problems that he thought that, that, that that's something that he would never have seen it and I told him I'm like look it's it sounds simple but what if we just simplify it and and he's like, okay, I'll give it a try. And the next day, he's like, it worked. I'm like, yeah, see, I'm glad it worked. So. Hmm. So before we talked about how you are into more physical uh, data than 
having everything digital. So how, how did you get that mindset? Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just how I grew up, I guess. We had, uh, growing up, I, my, my parents, like my, my dad is huge technological freak. He would uh, not hesitate to, you know, spend money into like buying new technology. And one of the things that we really liked were DVDs back in days when, you know, when it came out, like the fact that you can store four gigabytes of data on a disc was quite impressive. And we started doing backups of our digital photos, uh, you know, in India on the discs. And I'm like, wouldn't it be better if we just had physical copies? So um, I really like that idea. So uh, as a kid, even in India, believe it or not, born in 1994, the digital technology was there, but we would still have those film cameras. Mm, And we took a lot of memory pictures on those film cameras that we would have to get physical copies of. Process, yeah. Yeah. And those aren't around anymore. (laughs) Those aren't around anymore. So I really missed it when I was over here. I'm like, I really miss having those things. And then on top of all of that, like people were listening to their music on iPods versus myself in India was listening to music on a cassette. Like oh, a, not even a CD player? Not even a CD player on a cassette because <laughs> we would have a cassette players. Uh, and it wasn't until like 2005 when I saw a CD player in India, or at least where I, when I was growing up. Um, and I was like, what was wrong with the cassette, right? Like, I mean, it was a little too, you know, you still have the physical copy of it and all that stuff. And then I like, I, I, you know, I learned to adapt the CD players and then I saw people downloading music digitally and I'm like, I cannot accept that because I, I, I like to have my music physically on myself. Oh man, you, I mean, you get into like having a record player and that, that's like the most. That's, that, that is, that I, I, I want to have one, but I don't want the newest one. I would love to have a <laughs> very old record player because, you know, have a little, I guess, uh, hobby, I guess. If it's not old, then what's the point, right? I mean, you're just being one of the enthusiasts, that's it. But I, I would love to own a very old record player. Yeah. Um, and... I guess one of the biggest reasons why I really like having things physical was one time I remember having a phone and having all my music and it wasn't until the phone died and I lost all my music and I'm like, you know oh, what, that's, that's, that's sad, that's not acceptable. Yeah. And so I started buying my stuff, all my stuff, like physically. So even the games I play, they're all disc owned. Like I don't buy games digitally. I hardly ever buy games digitally. Um, I still have like a lot of collections of DVDs of shows. Like I don't, I don't, yes, I watch it on streaming services, but if I really like the show, I would purchase like the collection of, mm. you know, of the seasons. Cause I'm like one day streaming services will be down and you'll thank oh, yeah. me, <laughs> you know, it could be down. They could take it off and go exclusive. Exactly. And you'll never have it exactly. again. So you'll never have it. Yeah. Like one of the biggest ones that I'm proud of having is how I met your mother because Again, it's on no other streaming service except for Hulu. Mm. So if you don't have Hulu, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. And I, I really liked that show. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to own it. It's, it's yeah. not a bad idea to own one. There was a certain period where Netflix had basically the rights of every single show. And then everyone decided to uh, go do with their own thing. And it ended up being as bad as DVDs. But 
you don't own anything. Like even in like you know when you buy a game on Steam, it's you don't own it. Oh, you, you don't. You, tec- you cannot technically trade it with anybody. You cannot sell it. There yeah. is no refund. There is no physical copy that you can say that you own this. Yeah. That's why I like the disc. So it's uh, no matter what happens, yeah. like. Well, I mean, the disc could get damaged. The yeah. disc could get damaged, but you still own it physically. Yeah. Right. Like I mean. Uh, the game discs, yeah, they can get damaged, but you can also fix it if it's not too much. Can you? If it's if if the scratches are not that bad, yeah, you can you can fix it. Okay. Like they have they have those machines that will, you know, clean oh, out the, know the scratches. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you uh, can you uh, make a copy of any, you know, game or uh, I DVD? Don't think so. Not 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 that I unless you have the you know the the, the source code or. Whatever. Yeah, they have those uh, digital securities, or I guess they have those disk uh, securities on them. That's unfortunate. That is. Yeah. Because trust me, as a kid, I really wanted to copy a lot of games. Yeah. Like, I know, I know, um, you can pirate a lot of games. Yeah. And you can burn it, but you can, you can never copy it. A uh, disk, yeah. yeah. One thing that I got into, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm the similar. Uh, I've, I've had similar losses where. Uh, I had uh, songs or I had photos that I'll never have again. And that's, it's because it was on on the cloud or it was just some file. So right now, right now I have three hard drives in total or three yeah. hard disk drives. So yeah, and, and, and the thing is, is that people are, are, are making counterpoints saying that you can just have a backup drives. But yeah, but they here, here's the thing about, uh, so I, I always go back to the cameras. Here's the thing about the film. As long as you have the film saved, I can make as many copies as I want, right? Like as long as you have the the the, the actual film saved, you can go to the guy and you know have it printed out on on the printer. Not only that, I can digitize it as well. Yeah. So I could also have a digital copy of my film uh, uh, film reel, whatever you want to call it. The correct terminology is, but you can you once once you lost. Uh, once you lost the original mm. from the digital world, it's gone. It's gone, yeah. It's gone for good, and you can never recover it. Yeah, that's so. that's why uh, I don't understand people that just have they, they don't care at all. They just have streaming, or they they don't own any. They they just have Spotify, and they don't own their physical MP3s. Or yeah, I I mean now uh, every now and then I do purchase like MP3 files on on iTunes, but. Still, if I get chance, I always buy the CDs of of the albums that I like. Yeah. So, uh, and it, and not to mention, it's a fun process. I love watching it. Like you just put the disc on the thing, <laughs> iTunes. Like, oh, we discovered a CD. Do you want to put import that on your yeah. on your album uh, on your on your uh, collection? And I'm like, yeah. And then yeah. you just watch it. Just thing go transfer on your thing, yeah. and next thing you know, you have a high quality. Uh, it's it's. It's about as highest as you would download the uh, the MP3. Well, the files. MP3 actually is lossless. Like one thing that is that we didn't talk about is is the quality because the most the highest uh, quality is the record player. The mm-hmm. amount of like KB per second, the uh, the bit yeah. rate is highest on a, a record. And then if once you get to, to a CD, it's still pretty high. But once you get into lossless MP3s. Which lossless means that it will degrade over time. Mm-hmm. The the quality is not as good compared to the the physical thing, which is yeah. blows my mind. But I don't know if it's like a data limitation or if it's a um pro, like a uh, audio. I'm not processing. Uh, thing. I'm not entirely too sure on any of that stuff either. Again, that's 
that's computer science or yeah. electric engineering or I don't know what but, the um, right field is for that. But but it de- it definitely, I, I appreciate high bit rate. Like my phone has like like hundred megabyte files of audio, just audio. It's like either oh, wave or flack. Oh, you're on the megabytes world. I'm in the gigabytes world when it comes to my uh, uh, music. I have like gigabytes and gigabytes. Oh, I mean that one song. Oh, it's yes, like, yes, it, yes, yeah. Yeah, yes, so yes, yeah, if you have flack, then each song is like 10 megabytes. Yes, or, yeah. So yeah. Or like, yeah, the wave files are even wave files. I don't know if there's that big of a improvement to wave from flack, but... Yeah, that, that's just such a but you you audio have you nerd. have a I mean you have a high quality uh, audio and if you if you don't know how to process it I'm I don't know like I mean I'm I'm a big uh, I guess acoustic fan as well like I like to have my music and everything at like I don't know I have my own taste which everybody has their own taste but like I mean I have a very unique taste where I'm like I have to have a balance of everything like the lower frequency higher frequency mid frequency what uh, headphones do you have. Uh, currently, I'm using. Uh, I have two. So one of them is the Galaxy Bu- Bu- uh, Buds Two, and then the other one is the uh, Bose Quiet Pro. Are those both wireless? Bo- they're both oh, wireless. No. I know. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking I, about not having a DAC. If yes. you don't have an amp, if you don't have a DAC and the right impedance, the only yes. to, to power yeah. your uh, open ears. That's one investment that I'm afraid of getting into. But yeah, I do like the convenience of Bluetooth, but mm-hmm. it does it does not sound as good. As it does not sound as wired. good. I agree. And uh, at home, I have, uh, you know, I have the uh, the LG soundbar with the home theater system and everything, and that one gets well amplified and everything before it goes in. Do you have a, <laughs> do you have an apartment? Yes. Oh no! So your neighbors like the music too? Uh, every now and then, but I, I keep it I uh, I keep it quiet. If I if I see no cars outside, yeah, it's gonna it's going through the roof. But if if, if I see my neighbors' cars outside, I, I try my best to keep it quiet. Yeah, but well, they but they hear the low ends, you know, like the explosions and stuff. Yeah, they the hear. Bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, uh, I I have uh, IEMs just for um, like my my own personal uh, music. But I realize that the the drivers in it aren't. I feel like having open ears is the the right solution. Is um with a with my DAC setup. Mm-hmm. is probably the as good as it's gonna get unless i spend like you know this is i watched this video of a guy that spent like millions of dollars on like the perfect sound stage oh, of like man. these like t- like eight foot tall like no i mean I'm, I'm, I'm into sound but i'm not that that into i mean that that's like crazy like you, you have to be like you dedicate your entire life just to have a, yeah. no, a, a uh, room Speaking of sound, Dr. Rao does a lot of acoustic uh research and really? when i took uh when i took a noise control class with them i learned a lot about like you know the level of uh sounds that our ears can take and i was really impressed by it like i was like okay so i can actually tune my i actually took my phone and i started doing like calibration in my apartment to make sure that i get the right sound and like yeah. since i know about acoustics let's see how much my how much is the reverb time on my apartment and how can i you know set the speakers I mean, i'm sure it wasn't built to you know you need you need like the right material on the wall right to make like if you if you, if you want to have a sound observers you got to have a right uh materials on it if you want to have sound reflectors you maybe need a tiles like this yeah. uh i mean it's 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 i learned i learned a lot about the reflection and absorptions and all that stuff that it just made me so overwhelmed but at the same time i was so happy that i learned all that because now I can like 
somewhat understand what I need to do to get certain types types of sounds in my apartment. And I was I was really impressed by that. I'm like, oh, this, look at so that. So is the that really works. what noise control is? is yes. Is a, like acoustics? Yes. Because, I mean, if you think about it, what exactly, I mean, noise is just nothing but a wave. Mm-hmm. But we call it noise because it's unpleasant, right? Um, so how can you take care of that? It's just, uh, you know, you first of all, you, you define a me- me- metric to measure it with, which is the decibels for us, for ears. Um, but then you're going to realize there's a lot of different subcategories of decibels. There is dBA, dBC, dBZ, mm-hmm. all that stuff, which you learn about it, of course. But uh, then it becomes on how can you control it? Should you reflect it or should you observe it? If you want to reflect it, then how can you reflect that sound off something? And if you want to observe that sound, how can you observe it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. My um, former boss had a PhD in acoustics, and he was. We were all about NVH and all the controlling all the different systems at a car because they all also yeah. had a different frequency. Yes. Yes. Exactly. The tires so, versus the aerodynamics yeah. from the wind. And but but then I mean uh, the the class is focused more on uh, noise for the human ears. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, uh, the, the acoustics can go into all that stuff. Like, I mean, if you go above 20 kilohertz, you can't hear it. Really? So to Dr. Dr. Rao, the biggest solution is, is it between the range of ears when it comes to noise control uh, for humans at yeah. least? And if, if, if it's not, uh, or, or if it is, then just leave it alone. Just let it be. <laughs> if it's vibrating at 40 kilohertz, let it be. Nobody can hear it. None you can't feel it or uh, no you can't feel anything. it either no and don't kids have higher uh, frequencies that they can hear than uh no it's still is. the same range it's just that they're very sensitive okay so uh, sensitivity increases but not not the range yeah yeah getting into like audio stuff and it's it's actually really cool i i, I appreciate good music and all the uh there's just so much to get into it's like yeah. a whole like yeah. if, if getting into cars there's there's just so much to learn but like audio is like it's it's everyone it's does it, dimension but it, it's just yeah. just as deep if not yes, uh, yes definitely. it's such a money pit <laughs> just like yeah. cars or uh, any hobby my uh what the projects that he gave out on the noise control class was uh for us was that there was a machine in clement that will take the uh, material and it will shake it and turn it into a dust and it was creating so much loud noise. Like it was, it was, it was really loud. Wow. It was very loud. How and big? Like just like any. Uh, like it will take a pallets of 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 machine uh, of of the material, and it will turn it into a dust. Even like steel or like metal. Uh, I think they were using uh, carbon or something like that. Wow. But I think I, I guess you could do steel if it's done right. That's crazy. Um, I'm sure there's like a certain frequency that will. Yeah, it will just spot. it will just vibrate, and it will just start creating mm-hmm. like you know, small little earthquake until it starts breaking and it turns into a really, oh, really coarse powder. Yeah. So uh, we did the testing. We took the really, well, they were decent microphones. They were not good. They were decent microphones. We go over there and then, of course, angle matters where, where you collect the mic, right? Like, I mean, if I talk from here versus if I talk from here, yeah. all of that stuff matters. Um, so, like, uh, we placed it at certain places and we calibrated the sound. And we realized that, okay, this thing is making like 90 decibels, which is something uh, OSHA standards. You should not be in there mm-hmm. for no more than 30 minutes. Uh, you know, you can only run that machine for 30 minutes, but the people needs to use it for a long amount of time. So we decided to create a containment box. 
We literally just created a box, and in, in, in inside we had absorption materials that can go along with it. And we found the how much sound it can observe and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. And we reduced it from 90 to 70 decibels just just by putting a box inside of it. Mm-hmm. And it made a huge difference. Yeah. Like, so, um, I mean, things like that were really, really interesting to learn. Like, the fact that you can just put a box on it. Like <laughs> if, something, if something's making loud noise, just put a box on it and see if it helps. Well, and we the just, red we just, material helps too. Yeah, what I mean, even do. even just even just putting the wooden box right. reduced it down to five decibels. Okay. So yeah. that helped. Like I mean, yeah. that helped, yeah. but it was not noticeable, right? Like I mean, it still was pretty loud. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's still it was eighty-five. You say it reduced yeah, ninety it was, to yeah, minus five. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and decibels. I still. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the the logarithmic uh, difference between you know. Yeah. Like, ten, yeah. ten every ten is a hundred, right? I'm sorry? But the difference between like 80 and 90 is not just a, like well, it's a, 10%. Uh, so, so we did it in dBA, which is to the human ears uh, scale, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a ratio between um, you know, the, the pressure wave and uh, versus there's, you know what, I had to go back and read that. But, but it's, it's just a ratio, it's a logarithmic ratio yeah. uh, of, of, of difference of the, you know, of, of the pressure waves um, versus, I don't know what the standard pressure wave is. I think it's just the speed of sound ver- or pressure wave under the speed of sound versus whatever the pressure wave that's being, uh, cal- you know, that's being affected to the ears or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just the ratio and that ends up giving you the dB. Uh, all I know is that if you go above 70 dB A, uh, then it's not good, but I think it's under seventy or something like that. You can you can have that thing running all day and you will have zero uh, hearing damage. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I usually wear headphones if I go to a concert or something, just because I know <laughs> I, I get, already yeah, have it tinnitus. It can get loud. Yeah. And, yeah. It can, it can you, get really loud. You can damage your hearing. And you can, but the, see, the thing is, is that that's why I guess they try their best to uh, have the concerts. Like you know, whenever you go to concerts, you have the breaks in between the songs, right? I think. That's that's what that's what they try to do is that like they make sure that there's breaks in between the concerts so that way you're not experiencing this um, high decibel voice for a long amount of time because huh. it yeah. only damages if you start experiencing it for a long Constantly, amount of time yeah, yeah. Hmm. that's why that's why you know that's why when you put on the headphones they they recommend to run it at lower volume not at the higher volume because that can definitely damage you yeah. That was a pretty good conversation. I usually don't go this long, but uh, it's we kept on talking about interesting stuff, so I appreciate it. Of course, um, at any time, it was my pleasure. Uh, so one, I, I like to ask one last question. So what, what's one big takeaway you've learned the last, well, during your uh, graduate studies? What is one lesson that you've learned? Be patient. <laughs> Be patient and. Uh, you know, really process things before you start jumping into things. Like, you know, you don't want to, uh, you cannot, like, anything in a life, I guess. Uh, it applied to me in so many ways. I started reevaluating everything. Um, and, like, one thing that I learned is that you gotta, you gotta be more patient. You gotta step back and take a look at the whole thing before you start making any decisions. And, 
at the same time, don't take too long either. You know, you got to have a perfect balance between one and the other. So that's that's one of the things that I learned a lot from being a grad student was that. All and right. of course, patience yeah. comes from being a TA. I mean, it was just. Uh, I know exactly what yeah. <laughs> you just talked about. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Sachin. So. Of course. It's my pleasure.